0: Hey guys, a warning that there is some explicit language in parts of this episode. Production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recordings.
1: My parents are like, okay, in our culture, we're like, you either be a doctor or an engineer. That's what success looks like, right?
0: Jimmy Trin, chef and entrepreneur, takes us from his move to San Diego at two years of age to the release of Naughty Noah's Noodles his healthy Vietnamese-inspired vegan pho that can now be found on the shelves of Central Market. From a parental divorce through the transition from electrical engineering to culinary arts school, Jimmy takes us through stories of humanity, self-discovery, and triumph. We try to understand the impact of culture on choosing entrepreneurship in the current obesity crisis in America. Through all of these discussions, we can relate to the search for a passion the discovery of love and the birth of a child, and realize that we aren't all that different after all. Stay with us as we discover the culture and cuisine of the Vietnamese. Welcome to Culture and Cuisine, the podcast where we are increasing cultural awareness and empathy within the Houston community through conversations with restaurants from different cultural backgrounds. And with these conversations, we can see through to the shared humanity within us all and begin to realize that we're all out there trying to find happiness, success, and survive. And just like cuisine, we all do it a little differently based on how we were raised. I'm your host, Casey Hirschman. Today, we're with Jimmy Trin, founder of Naughty Noah's Noodles.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, My name is Jimmy Tay Trin. I'm the founder and Chief Executive Noodler of uh, Naughty Noah's.
0: And my in-the-field co-host, Pedro Corral.
1: Hello, everyone.
2: This is Pedro Corral. And, yeah, I'm ready for another fun interview here.
0: Jimmy was born in Vietnam and moved with his family to San Diego, California, when he was about two years old. At five years old, events were set in place that began to shape the projection of the rest of his life.
1: My parents... My parents got divorced when I was five. Um, mother was, you know, a single mother for a little while and it was just hustling, right? As a single mom with two boys. And it was it, like having the, the missing of a father figure there was a struggle for sure. Like I didn't know how to operate on, you know, with that, without that context. And, and at the same time, my mother did a phenomenal job. Phenomenal job, right? She worked odd jobs to keep us afloat. And, and then she met my stepfather, who was going to school full-time, going to work full-time to be an engineer.
0: Throughout life, it was reiterated to Jimmy that the options for his future were either doctor or engineer. It just so happened that his stepfather was training to be an electrical engineer at San Diego State, which again impacted where his future would head.
1: So I ended up staying at San Diego State, declared my major as electrical engineer. Um, but then, you know, it wasn't like my passion. Like I came to my mother in my second year of engineering. And I'm like, I don't like this shit, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, like, I like business. But mm-hmm. she goes, you have to finish. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I ended up you know, finishing uh, four years later. So I finished in six years engineering, but I didn't go into engineering. I went to, I went to Europe after I graduated and saw a whole new like, world out there. And I came back and I, I, I had a conversation with my mother. I said, okay, what do I do now? Like, I don't like engineering. <laughs> And she's like, well, you know, she's been a, a self-made entrepreneur, right? So going through, going through our childhood, all the way up to when I was 18, she, she developed a, her own seamstress business as a reweaver. And she would have a home business and we would cater, our clients were like Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, and the various cleaners throughout the San Diego County. And she did a, a really great book of business for 18 years in that business, right? I graduated, and that's when she said, hey, why don't we go into real estate and mortgage and open up our own firm? I'm like, okay, because she had you know, invested in some several properties throughout the years, and so she saw an opportunity to do that and open our own business. So we did that. We did that for six years, and I knew that wasn't my long-term game, and at the same time, I wanted to do something like on my own for myself. And so, in my in this in two thousand and seven, was when I said, "Hey, mom, you know what? I learned a lot from you from cooking growing up and eating, you know, the foods that we, you know, of our culture. Now, I really want to learn like the foundations of that. And so, I applied to the world's premier culinary school, the Culinary Institute of America. I mm-hmm. got in." And, um, did a, like, I went into the culinary program. You either go culinary or baking and pastry. I went into culinary and, uh, I did, you know, my externship in London and had a, a very vast experience from, you know, uh, from nice skills to soups, to baking and pastry, to front of the house, back of the house. Like I, I learned the whole gamut of the, the restaurant industry, food service. And then uh, I went to London, worked at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant for several weeks, and then worked at another site. um, And then I finished out, and I came back. Even with a promising career ahead
0: of us, many can relate to the experience of wanting a partner to share our life with. Similarly, Jimmy found himself back in upstate New York in August 2009, pondering what life with a partner would look like.
1: I was, I was in my dorm room and I was just declaring, like, who do I want to be with? Like, who do I want to marry? I was just very clear, like, who, who could that be? And I just declared, I'm like, I want to marry a doctor. I don't know what kind of doctor, but I want to marry a doctor. I just saw, like, it, it would be a, a, a interesting conversation for her and I. And so I just left at that. I spoke from my heart. One month later, September 27, 2009, I met my wife in New York City.
0: Oh my gosh,
1: wow. (laughs) (laughs) And she's an optometrist. Wow. So uh, I graduated 2009, November, moved back to California, and every month I would visit my, my wife. And in March 2010, packed my bags, moved to Houston.
0: Wait, why, wait, so did she live in Houston? She's Is that-
1: from Houston. Oh, okay,
0: yeah. and y'all just met in New York? Yeah. That's crazy.
1: She was there for a birthday party. Wow. We met, and actually, I had came to Houston um, the, the that same year in April. I've never been to Houston before. And a friend of mine from the Navy, he his family had moved to Houston. So he said, hey, why don't you come, Jimmy, why don't you come to Houston? And I was like, what the hell's in Houston? <laughs> <laughs> So I came, and we hung out, and there was a mutual, my my wife's friend, her name is Linda, mm-hmm. she says, hey, you know, we're going to New York City for a birthday party, you should come and hang out with us. I'm like, sure, I'm only an hour and a half by train to the city. So September 27th rolls around, and I saw on Facebook that, you know, Linda was there in New York City. I'm like, hey, you know, what's up, what are you doing, how long are you going to be here? She's like, you should come and hang out. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> So I came and I was supposed to meet them for lunch, Mm -hmm. uh, but my train was running late. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, let's meet in Chinatown on Chamber and Canal Street. Mm -hmm. And that's when I met my wife.
0: After his move to Houston, Jimmy begins his career in the local restaurant market and shares with us the trials and tribulations of the working environment in most of the kitchens.
1: And uh, so then I moved moved here in March 2010. Mm -hmm. I tried the restaurant scene out. For six months, I worked at uh, Vic and Anthony's, Lupe Tortilla. But you know what was missing was the culture mm-hmm. in the kitchen mm-hmm. is super rough, super rough. Like people don't care about one another at all. It's about like who could do the best, and I will fuck you over mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're if you're not doing it with me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And. It was it was really a race like a rat race in there in in the kitchen, and so I said okay I am I'm, I'm letting this go, and I'm gonna go help my brother build his internet mortgage business, mm-hmm. in which, you know at the time we were licensed in California and then we ended up getting we opened up the Texas market, mm-hmm. he's very entrepreneur as well right, and we opened up the Texas market um, under my license and then. We then, for three years, I helped him in his business. And then that's when I said, you know, when we found out we were pregnant with our son Noah, that's when I started Naughty Noah's. That's when I started the development of Naughty Noah's.
0: Jimmy begins to elaborate on the inspiration behind Naughty Noah's.
1: What inspired me was my mother opened up our first Vietnamese family fall restaurant the first year I was in culinary school. She didn't even tell me. She was actually opposed for me to go into the restaurant space, right? And then she ends up opening a restaurant, and then I find out I call home. She didn't even tell me. I called home, I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on? She's like, I'm opening a restaurant. I'm like, what? I'm like, you, you've been telling me this whole time not yeah. to open a restaurant, and like or go into that space, and you go and open a restaurant. I'm like, what the hell?
2: She wants to compete with you. Yeah.
1: So... So after, you know, I graduated culinary school, you know, I helped my brother and then I went into the space and then it was, it wasn't until 2014 when we found out we were pregnant with our son Noah, that's when I saw something that I saw a void in the noodle space in CPG in the grocery, Mm -hmm. um, in the grocery aisle. And I said, well, how come no one is doing anything authentic? in this space.
0: Yeah.
1: And no one is doing something health, like healthy in that space as well. Jimmy left the difficulties of
0: the Houston Kitchens to discover the difficulties of entrepreneurship. He shares with us what he came up against and the commitments he stood in that helped continue to push him to overcome his obstacles.
1: So it, it took me three years to develop Naughty Noah's sourcing ingredients sourcing vendors talking to um, different suppliers mm-hmm. and re just like iteration after iteration and recipe development yeah. so it it took it took a lot and i didn't have a salary either right like right. i had no money mm-hmm. no money it was very fortunate to have my wife you know support us in her business and and she and she was even opposed to it at first she's like she wasn't a believer right yeah. um but you know what 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 really stood fast was my commitment mm-hmm. and my belief in doing something innovative authentic mm-hmm. and health-driven right in a new um in a modern way mm-hmm. and that's how i i ended up with nani noah's and we launched uh, last year in September, a day yeah, on Noah's birthday, September twenty-fifth. From the
0: entrepreneurship experiences of his past, Jimmy understands the importance of strategy and understanding markets. He continues to share about his strategy for growing Naughty
1: Noahs. And uh, we launched online first, and then onto Amazon. So direct to consumer on a website, and then Amazon. And then we recently just got into Central Market here in Houston um, in the middle of February. So now we're like, yeah, we're growing. And we're growing organically, which I think is a very, um, very right approach, especially in CPG. Like CPG stands for Consumer Product Goods. And, you know, a, a lot of companies in the beginning... They, they go wayside because they're trying to grow too fast, right? too fast, too soon. And I think the approach that we're taking is very strategic, very thought out, and growing from our organic space. Of course, there are many consumer product goods that one could create. However,
0: Jimmy is passionate about capturing the healthy nature of Vietnamese cuisine in a way that modern lifestyles could gain access to it. He shares with us where his passion for healthy eating originated.
1: In 2007, I was sharing with Pedro, I was 180 pounds, and that's pretty heavy for a five-foot-seven Asian guy. And and what turned what transformed that was. After culinary school, after a year and a half later, I had brought awareness to what I was eating and I lost 35 pounds and I maintained that for the last 10 years. And so in 2014, I looked at my mother's restaurant and the food that she was producing out of there. I said, "Oh my god, it just it just it just dawned on me. Like I had an aha moment. Like why why isn't anybody bringing Vietnamese food?" To the masses, right? And so pho is a traditional cultural staple of Vietnamese cuisine. And so I said, oh, okay, let me see how I could bring a... a typically, you know, pho is is made from, um, made from simmering bones, at least for 12 hours or more, right, from beef bones. And so how could I... Given the, the state of the industry of the food industry in CPG, like you have these big conglomerate companies, right, producing like shitty chemical-based foods, mm-hmm. like how come no one's doing it in a in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. And I to see like the the not just the trend, but that's where the the, the food industry is going is towards that way. And so I said, okay, how can I innovate and think of ways that I could bring pho, mm-hmm. right, which is traditionally in the food service restaurant space, to on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, that's my inspiration of, of doing it. And then the other the other two reasons is one, I, I want to build a legacy for the Vietnamese culture in my family. Mm-hmm. And number three, what really drives me is you know going against the 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 status quo of the rom, the instant noodle ramen mm-hmm. industry it's fun to me like i know we're a small like small cpg entrepreneur business yeah. but that really like like playing that game uh-huh. going against a big you know uh gorilla like that yeah it's fun
0: fighting the man yeah
1: fighting the man it's, it's fun <laughs>
0: Yeah, I love it. Is there any reason specifically vegan?
1: Yeah, so typically pho is made with beef bones, right? And the reason why we made it vegan is because we couldn't source um, a healthy, we couldn't source a sustainable uh, protein. Mm. And so I I made the, the choice, a really conscious choice, like, hey, let's just make it vegan, and allow the consumer to put, you know, whatever proteins that they want at their leisure mm-hmm. and really empower them if they want that. We give you the foundation mm-hmm. and you can play with it however you want. Yeah. So we made it, you know, vegan, gluten-free, which is the, difference, the major difference between Vietnamese pho noodles versus instant ramen noodles mm-hmm. is pho is made of rice noodles. Ramen is made of highly processed wheat. So, th- and, the, and, the, and with a bunch of chemical ingredients. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that makes it unhealthy. What we use is turmeric, clove, starnese, cinnamon. We use actual authentic spices that is reminiscent or depicts uh, um, our mother's you know, recipe. Yeah.
2: But as, as you're explaining and talking, I'm thinking, wow, like, somebody that was able to bring his culture from mom from the country from surroundings into his life to become an entrepreneur but also to produce a new product which ironically it can turn into a culture right and it's now the other way around is instead of you using a culture to fuse it with and integrate it into a community maybe your product becomes a organic, uh, different kind of uh, product mm-hmm. that now people follow, right? And it's, a, and it's a, I find it as a really, really good uh, Right, I you know, that's mix. a really great right? like, insight. I didn't
1: think of yeah, it yeah, like it. that. It's like reversing
2: roles yeah. unintentionally, of course, because your passion about food and cuisine and everything is really what brought you here. But if you think about it, huh, you're like, you know, you talk about legacy. That could be a legacy for the family, but also for the culture, mm. you know, Vietnamese and American, at the end of the day, you have a, a, a mix and a, I think you feel for both.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, just to piggyback that, like my, my whole vision is the world would be an extraordinary place if everyone ate more Vietnamese food. That's my vision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's and it. Mexican food. It's, it's, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, 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 i mean all cultural food yeah yes.
0: yeah it's it's interesting because um my friend amy she's she's chinese but she always talks about she was like everyone would be better off if they ate more you know asian food because it is like very fresh ingredients and i mean i guess that's really probably the same with anything like actual authentic mexican food as like fresh ingredients versus like What we see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Taco Bell and ramen and like what American culture, like Western culture, has like bastardized these foods to being these like unhealthy forms of Mm -hmm. originally very healthy and fresh. So I think it's cool. It's like you're flipping the switch back to what it really is. Reverse engineering, you know,
1: our culture, right? Like you said. And you know, the, the insight that Pedro said was and, and what you mentioned, too, is the, the major difference between the culture, like multinational cultures outside mm-hmm. of the U.S. is every food item or product that's produced outside the U.S. in Mexico, Vietnam, Thailand, mm-hmm. wherever, it's just made with the raw ingredient, mm. mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. Vietnam is still considered a, a third world country. Like, when I went back in 2007, Mm -hmm. I was horrified. I was like, holy shit, like, this is my country, right? We have it so fucking good here Mm -hmm. in the US. And at the same time, like, the quality of our food is shit. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Right? And so I looked at, I'm like, and I've been to Mexico, Tijuana, right? Uh, Cabo, Mm -hmm. Cancun. And I see, like, the different, like, I've been in some parts of Europe, some parts of Asia, um, Mexico, and I see like, as far as the culture and cuisine, mm-hmm. right, Which is the whole context of this conversation is, mm-hmm. what they produce out there mm-hmm. is just the raw stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's clean, that's why it's healthy. Yeah. You don't have any, anything chemically based. Yeah. They just work with what they have. And that's the beauty of of other, like, especially ethnic mm-hmm. cuisines. Mm-hmm.
0: Jimmy's passion for fresh, healthy foods doesn't stop with Naughty Noah's Noodles. He shares with us a current project he is working on to bring fresh produce to kids in Houston.
1: I'm currently working on a project called um, The Garden Project. It's Grow Gardens for Kids. And I was sharing this with Pedro earlier, that what i saw is the obesity rate in the us is staggering it's at 32% of children in the us that's 74.2 million kids are obese and overweight mm-hmm. that's more than the, the millennial population that's insane wow wow S- yeah and six yes yeah, okay. 60% of americans are dying from cancer diabetes and cardiovascular heart disease okay wow. so I I like to like for me to bring a project like that, so the Golden, the the Gardens for Kids project is to have is to bring awareness, foster education and knowledge around growing your own food, knowing where your food comes from, at an early age. Yeah. Given that I have, you know, two young ones, three and a half, Noah's three and a half, and I have a baby uh that's eight months old. Mm-hmm. Like I see the 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 impact is having them get that knowledge and get that training early as early as possible because later when they grow when they're like 18 25 mm-hmm. when you introduce them something that's foreign yeah. they're going to resist it mm-hmm. right yeah. so i just take my own personal experience of growing up eating vietnamese food like vietnamese food is composed of fresh vegetables, herbs, mm-hmm. spices, uh, soups, and broths. They right? just very clean. Yeah. And like, I can eat every herb on the planet. Yeah. Every kind of vegetable, like bitter melon, er, mint, basil's my favorite, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so, so I learned that when you're trained that way early on from a, from a food and health perspective, Later on in life, you'll have that train. It's like riding a bike.
0: Entrepreneurship can be frightening and overwhelming to some, or exciting and adventurous to others. Either way, it is an undertaking filled with an array of emotions and challenges. Jimmy shares with us what entrepreneurship is to him and how it fits into his life.
1: You know, being an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. and a dad, and a husband, and a son, you know, all those roles that you play, it's uh to me I really like like I embrace all of it mm. like you're gonna fail you're gonna make mistakes all the time sure, yeah. right and what I've learned in most recent years is go on your strengths bet on your strengths mm. focus on that yeah and, and make things work move things around shift things right and it's all in the way of how we're being with it yeah right
0: Yeah, it's interesting, like everything you just said was, that's like the essence of what we're trying to create with these conversations. Like every single person that is alive can relate with what you just said. You know, someone is either like a son or a daughter or a husband or wife or mom or dad. And like everyone comes up against things where they fail or, you know, and they have, you're you're just growing as a person in all these different roles. And that's just like, that just kind of hit me in yeah, the face. No, it was of like
2: mind blowing in a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Overwhelming in a like, good, in a positive way.
0: Yeah. We're all, we're all the same, you know, just out there doing things differently based mm-hmm. on how we're raised. Every person in Jimmy's immediate family has taken on some entrepreneurial endeavor. Cook and Lisa from episode four, also Vietnamese have both undertaken multiple entrepreneurial ventures. We ask Jimmy if he believes this is a coincidence or if this is a cultural phenomenon.
1: Yeah, I totally, I totally think it is a cultural thing. And, and what's the driver behind ethnic um, backgrounds mm-hmm. and culture being very entrepreneurial is where they're coming from, like, we don't have a lot. Mm-hmm. And when we come to America, there's so much opportunity, mm-hmm. and that's what really drives, you know, my, especially my culture, mm-hmm. of to be an entrepreneur or uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's it's that drive of like opportunity, opportunity. There's no there's nothing like in the way, mm-hmm. yeah. right? A lot of what I see, people that grew up here. Mm-hmm have that kind of like luxury. They get complacent, they're like, oh yeah, it can happen tomorrow, or I'll wait for this and that. No, like in, in the cultural aspect, like the, it, the ethnic backgrounds for me personally, is there's, a, there's that, that motivation and drive to keep, keep a um, startup a business for your family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's all about family. And if we could relate to our family as our foundation, then everything really could work. If you really, wa- if you're really committed, mm. you can make it work. Yeah. You know, whether it be a salon owner, a, a restaurateur, or shoemaker, or whatever it is. Yeah. If you have that foundation of family, or your your health first, family, and then that business or that job, mm. then you'll thrive. Right, you'll make it successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's one of the the huge um, uh, motivation factors for for I think the Vietnamese culture, and I think and I can speak for you know uh, other cultures as well.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, third world countries, like you said, um, people coming from those countries already feel or know that you already touch the the bottom, if you will, right? Of whether it's financially or security or comfort. Mm-hmm. So you can only go better from that point on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what I was just thinking is like the, the failure is like, you just end up back where you started versus like in America, it's like
2: right.
0: you're at some place. And if you fail, it's like, it's an unknown, right? To, if you're either broke or like, the you know like looking bad becomes a fear for a lot of people I guess and that's interesting that you say that because it's like a lot scarier to make the jump if you know you perceive yourself as having more to lose versus like coming from another country where you're like well I don't really you know have that much anyway. so what's going to happen is I'll just stay here you know so that's that's interesting yeah to wrap up the interview, Jimmy shares with us a personal story about the birth of his daughter, and through it, reminds us that race and discrimination are something that humanity created, because nature does not discriminate.
1: Hurricane Harvey landed, uh, made landfall on Thursday, uh, August twenty-fourth. Saturday came, my first hurricane experience. My wife's like, we live in a high-rise apartment uh, on Beltway and Iden, and she goes, we gotta have to get out of the area. I'm like okay. So we head up to Cyprus, my brother-in-law's house. We get to the house and I'm like, okay, I'm unloading things and she, next thing you know, she goes, I think I have to go poop. I'm like, all right, go do your thing. <laughs> two seconds later, two minutes later, she starts screaming. I'm like, no. holy shit. So I run to the restroom, open the door, open the door and she's wearing this dress yeah. and all I see is just blood, right? Oh, man, no. And at the same time, like it did, all I saw was blood, I'm like, oh shit, we got to go, we got to go uh-huh. and little did I hear, she said, the baby's head is out. Oh I'm like, gosh. oh my gosh. Oh my I, just, I just said, let's get in the car, let's get yeah. in the car. We get in the car, and my brother in law is like, you're not going to make it to the hospital. And we, actually, we had an appointment to be induced that following Thursday. Oh, wow. It, but it was happening right now. Yeah. So he says, go to the ER down the street, and, and just do. I said, okay, let's just go. Yeah. We get there. I'm still trying – I'm, like, reversing the car, and she's like, get out of the car. So I get out of the car – I run inside, I said, I'm having an emergency delivery, I need your help. I come out, open the passenger door, she's out. (laughs) And then, yeah, yeah, she's out. And then the nurse comes out, and we're trying to to get her to breathe, but then I didn't know that you have to cut the baby's umbilical cord in order for them to breathe on their own. So we're like, holy shit, what do we do? So I took my wife, put her in the wheelchair, And he's holding the baby, and the building core is hanging out like that. We're all four of us racing to the ER. They cut to the building core. She starts to breathe. We're like, oh, thank God. Then, to top it off, there's a tornado (laughs) a block down on Tuckerton, And so we had to wait it out. And like four hours later, they had to order two EMTs, one NICU EMT and one uh, regular EMT for my wife. So the, the NICU EMT had to wait for the tornado to pass in order to come to the ER. It was urgent care. They've never delivered a baby there before. It's a new one. So 5.30 in the evening, finally the, the tornado passes. The e- NICU EMT gets there. They, they put my daughter in the secure compartment. I get in the car that we delivered on <laughs> and four five hours ago. I uh, follow them to the, the hospital. And my wife's ENT follows us to the hospital. We get there at 6 p.m. on Saturday night.
0: Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah,
1: she's gonna be a hurricane then. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's like another Full of energy.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I feel mean, like that's another perfect example of like, you know, they say like, after Harvey, I feel like you know Houston really came together and like, natural disasters don't discriminate right. based on who you are. Right. You know, right, it's right. like stuff happens, birds, same thing, you know, like Mm. that's, that's crazy. Wow. (laughs) What an interesting story. (laughs) Well, um, as we wrap up, do you have any more specific questions?
2: No, I think we're, we can go and talk for hours and hours. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we need another two hours, but, yeah, no, this has been great. Really yeah. interesting.
0: Well, I really awesome. appreciate you coming in and being a part of this. I think your story is very, very interesting and very inspirational. And um, can't wait to see, see how m- much your company takes off. And uh, glad we could get you on here before you're too famous and too busy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I'm definitely running to Central Market to
0: try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's delicious. <laughs> Again,
1: you can, uh, you can check out NaughtyNoahs.com uh, yeah. online amazon and central market and we were just featured on um entrepreneurs uh new uh show called elevator pitch entrepreneur elevator pitch season two so look us up um up there and uh just want again thank you it's very humbling to be a speaker on your uh, on your show and uh i just want to really make a difference for people and share my story so that it can inspire and and have people do something different for them
0: I totally, totally get that from you. That's awesome. We'll we'll make sure to put all the links and information for Naughty Noah's in the in the bio. Awesome.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, right, no, thank you. Thanks. Cheers.
0: Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about our upcoming annual cultural Thanksgiving on September 30th at Eighth Wonder Brewing. This is our largest event of the year where we gather to celebrate the melting pot that is our community. Join us to see cultural performances, sample local cuisines, and shop at our cultural marketplace as you enjoy the fresh brews of 8th Wonder. Find out more at cultureandcuisinehtx.com or via the link in our bio. See you there. Production and audio editing brought to you by Richard Borger with Meraki Recording.